0: This is Worship God, a podcast of the Gospel Coalition Canada. Worship God is designed to equip worshipers and worship leaders for Christ-centered worship.
1: Well, welcome back to Worship God, a TGC Canada podcast about all things worship. My name is Rob Brockman. I'm an associate pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Aurelia, Ontario. And today I'm joined by my good friend and lead pastor of South Shore Bible Church in Barrie, Ontario, Jody Cross. Jody, it's good to see you on this
0: beautiful day. Hey, brothers, good to see you too. And uh, love hanging out with you and love hanging out with the people that join us as we have these episodes and attempt to encourage you and hope that we can give you some things that will help you as a worshiper and as a leader in your church.
1: Oh yeah, Jody and I often just talk about just the blessings of this platform and the opportunity to be able to do podcasts. And uh, we know there's a lot of you listening out there, and so we're thankful yeah, for thank that. thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, d- we did a series of episodes recently. It was Jody's idea on what we can learn from the life of John the Baptist about worship. And we really liked doing that. We thought, man, this is just, there's such so much uh, gold to mine out of these characters that we thought, well, why don't we continue that concept and ask the question, what can we learn from the life of Jesus about worship? Now, obviously this is a massive topic and Jesus talked a lot about worship and modeled a lot about worship and we can't unpack everything jesus says also because jesus is the word of god in essence the entire scriptures <laughs> are the word of Christ to us. Um, So we just want to focus on the life of Jesus, his earthly life, and look at his example. You know, how did Jesus worship? What are the things that he did that we can draw lessons from? And how did he model what a life of worship should look like? So Jody, I want to throw it off to you first. What can we learn from the example of Jesus about worship?
0: A word that I would use is that um, a life of worship is resolute. And there's this fierce determination that, well, you can see it in the life of Jesus. um, That says yes to God, and it says no to the devil. So it's Mm -hmm. making this firm choice. And what you see in the scriptures is that immediately following Jesus' baptism, he was led into the spirit, or led by the spirit, excuse me, into the wilderness to face the temptation of the devil. And scripture says after 40 days of fasting, Jesus was hungry. That's perhaps one of scripture's most massive understatements. I get hungry after about three hours. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the devil assaulted Jesus with three temptations. And the the epicenter of what he was after was was the worship of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, 9 and 10, uh, the devil said to Jesus, all these I will give you, referring to all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory in them, if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, "Begone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Mm. So there's, in, in the life of Jesus, a resoluteness, a fierceness, a firmness that the worship of God belongs to God alone and to no one else. Of course, Satan is a liar and a deceiver and a glory stealer and God's archenemy and ours. And that is still the same temptation that he he comes at mm-hmm. us with to steal the worship that belongs to God alone. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus here resists this temptation resolute to live in obedience to God, in obedience to the word of God for the glory of God. Mm. And as I reflect on this, I, I just realize that to be a worshiper is to be in a battle and to be passionate about worship and to keep God first in your heart. It's, it's the battle of the ages. It's the battle of the garden. It's the battle of the wilderness, it's the battle of evil and darkness against goodness and light, the battle for our soul. And um, Mm. as we think about this personally, uh, we ask ourselves this, to whom will we bow? And Mm. who is going to get our full allegiance? Ultimately, who's gonna be God in in our life? And and Jesus won that battle and uh, by grace in him we stand, and by his strength and his grace we live. And so the first thing we, we say is this, we, we'll, we'll settle this. We're going to stand firm and be unwavering that Christ alone is God. He created us in everything that there is, and he alone is worthy of our worship. Mm. That's what mm. Revelation 4.11 says. Worthy are you, Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed, and they were created that's kind of the ground for everything i guess in a way right
1: absolutely the, the resolve that you make to say i am going to give my life to worship christ you know and he is worthy of my worship if that's at the bottom then all all the other mm-hmm. things we're going to talk about kind of stem from that i guess it's
0: just absolutely christ is mm-hmm. it
1: christ crisis my life of worship says yes to god and no to the devil like mm-hmm. that then it leads to other things and that makes me think i think of kind of leads to the second thing which is kind of tied to this that i That is, we just see over and over how Jesus prioritized worship, right? He would make time. He would make decisions. He would make choices to foster and to nurture his relationship with his father. And um, even just that language, I I was thinking recently, Jody, like, you know, when I pray, I often say, Lord, first, Mm -hmm. right? Like I, for some reason, that's my instinct is Lord, and I'm, I'm reading through John, like a very slow read through John and I journal every morning. I just see how Jesus speaks to God and he calls him father, father, father all the time. And there's a deep relationship there that Jesus prioritized to develop. And, you know, he would regularly go to synagogue. We see this, you know, Luke 14. In and Luke, and Luke 4, verse 16, it says this, and as was his custom... He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So, you know, Luke understands Jesus had a custom, and it was on the Sabbath day he was at the synagogue. That's what he did. He modeled that 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 priority around gathering and worship. And so, when the author of Hebrews says we should not neglect to meet together, as in the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus believed this and modeled this. He prioritized the gathering, synagogue, you know, corporate worship. Um, Secondly, he would regularly take time to pray. We know this, we have a number of examples of actual prayers that Jesus prayed even in the scriptures. He didn't only teach us how to pray that we often think about, but we have the example of the high priestly prayer in John 17, where he prays for unity for his disciples. And you can read that and, and and get into the mind of how Jesus interacted with God in prayer. We have the example of Christ's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we have an example that I just read a few weeks ago of Jesus praying before the tomb of Lazarus in John 11. There's all these little prayers that you see throughout John of Jesus praying, Jesus praying, Jesus praying. And so we see that Jesus was Deeply prayerful, and he prioritized that. He sung like we we taught. We have this example in Matthew twenty six that tells us that they had sung, when they sung a hymn, they went down to the Mount of Olives, which means that we know that singing was part of the Jewish synagogue worship. And so Jesus sang. Um, so we, just by reading through the Gospels, we can see that Jesus prioritized attending the assembly. He prioritized prayer. He prioritized singing. And it's no coincidence that in, when the book of Acts starts at the end of chapter two, it talks about how they come together for fellowship and singing and prayer and teaching. They modeled themselves after the priorities of Jesus. And so I think a lot of us have to ask the question to get practical do we prioritize the same things that Jesus did? Do, do we prioritize prayer? corporate worship do we prioritize being in the word and communing with our father this is not one of those things where we go oh lord like make me into this person this is like i need to make different decisions Mm. (laughs) i need to prioritize i need to get the big rocks in first and so i think that's one thing that we
0: see from the life of jesus
1: a priority a priority to worship god and we need to
0: have that too and the funny thing about priorities is if you say on tuesday I made a good choice for priority by, by Wednesday or Thursday. That thing is, is challenged. You know, yeah. <laughs> I went to the gym Monday expecting to go all week and, uh, I haven't gone for three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> in, and that, that priority, even the priority needs to be prioritized. Yes. <laughs> um, I was just reminded of this scripture in second Corinthians 11, three, I'm afraid Paul writes that as a serpent. Uh, deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a pure and sincere or sincere Mm. and pure devotion to Christ. And it's just like saying, you know, the the devil wants to challenge that, that resolve that we talked about, that, that priority that, that you made on Monday or that you made for your life. And we just have to be aware of that and to fight against that and stand against that. And uh, that's a daily thing.
1: Not even, not only the devil, but like just our flesh. Uh Yeah. So we have the devil who, yeah, absolutely wants to deceive us and get us off path. Then we have our flesh that is inclined to sin and selfishness and laziness and all those things. And so we're, we're, we're fighting an uphill battle when it comes to this. And that's why, the, you're right, prioritizing our priorities is even key.
0: <laughs> I think it was John Piper that had a prayer. I'm going to quote him loosely. It says, uh, God enable me to do the things that will keep me in the faith. Right. And so it's the grace of God at work but the grace of God enabling me to do the things that will keep me in the faith. Yes. And uh, totally. maybe we need to pray that prayer, Lord, uh, enable me to prioritize you by your grace so that I can grow closer to you and uh, be more transformed by you. Yeah.
1: Well, and that's the 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 power of the Holy Spirit in us. He gives us the power for self-control. I mean, this is you're right. Like it's where It, may, it might, might sound like, well, where does the Holy Spirit fit into all these guys? You just choose to do the right things. It's like, well, that's the power of the Spirit in us. So pri- doing do, making the priorities... The resolve to make those priorities is one thing, but then re- relying on the power of the Spirit to actually accomplish those things and to believe that mm-hmm. we have been given what we need to make these priorities happen is, is another thing. We have the Holy Spirit for that reason. Jody, what would uh, another kind of mm-hmm. thing we can learn from the example of Jesus be?
0: I think of the word surrender. And mm-hmm. um, surrender is an important word. Uh, I'll just share in a minute the... Um, the mode, uh, the moment in Jesus' life toward the end of his life and uh, where he exemplifies that act of worship. But as I was thinking about this, the first time the word worship is used in the Bible, it's in the context of Abraham offering his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And mm-hmm. in the context of that, um, as he's going with the wood, he says to his servant and his son, he says, uh, stay here with the donkey to a servant. He says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and, and come again to you. Mm-hmm. And... So here was Abraham going to worship God, going to bow to the will of God, although it would cost him dearly. And and he had probably lived lived through this and thought through it, what it was going to cost, the one he loved dearly. Mm. And this test for him was what did he love the most? Did he love God? Did he love obedience to God? Or did he love his son most? Mm. And um, so Abraham obeyed God. He went in faith and he was surrendering his son to the Lord, says he was on the altar, he's tied up. But yet, wonderfully, beautifully, great story, great ending. Isaac was spared, and instead a lamb was sacrificed. And that should mm-hmm. trigger some New Testament thoughts in our mind. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you put that in a New Testament key, uh, in his final act of worship, Jesus surrendered his life to the Father's will. He, he was the one who laid down his life. And in mm-hmm. the garden is what I was thinking of in the night of his arrest. Um, you know, the night of his arrest, the morning would bring the beating and the crucifixion. Uh, Jesus said this in the garden. He said to his disciples, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Mm. And I just reflecting on those thoughts, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And mm. so here is Jesus in an act of worship and an act of laying down his life. He is surrendering. He gave his everything so that God's will could be done. And mm. the will of God for his life was that uh, we could be saved and be made holy and, and be adopted as his sons and enjoy God's favor and fellowship with him forever. And you think about how important surrender is. The price of our salvation was was Jesus' surrender. It was his life mm. surrender that cost him uh, the mocking of humans and the the mocking of evil and the beating and cruelty of the cross, shed blood, broken body, his fellowship with God and his his very life. And as we think about this and reflect on this a little bit, um, you know, do we pray this prayer? Jesus, not my will but yours be done. And hmm. realizing that there's a King who has full authority and and full worthiness of all of our allegiance. And and of course, Romans 12:1 says that this is our our of worship, it's where it begins to lay our lives down as a, a mm. sacrifice. And, you know, that hymn we sing, uh, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. And that is really just an act of worship, uh, mm. an act of surrender. And the only right and reasonable response to the one who gave it all for us is to give our all for him, to say, mm. Lord, I'm yours. I will live for you. And You know, just like we talked about a minute ago about priorities, there's a battle going on in this. It's a battle for control. It's a battle for who will be calling the shots in our lives and uh, for who is the boss of us. And, Mm. you know, so we say through the life of Jesus, uh, Lord, your will be done.
1: You know, I was reading at the end of John 12 where Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. It's verse 27. And what shall I say? Father, Mm -hmm. save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Jesus himself, you know, knows what's coming. And he's going, well, am I going to what, what, like, just, am I going to really ask God to spare me from this? This is why I've come. You just see this surrender that he had. This is even before the garden when he asks, when he actually asks God, hey, if it's, it can be, if it can be, spare me. Um, he's even going, man, like, this is, this is tough, but I, I've come for this purpose. And that kind of surrender is um, just a huge, huge thing that I think that we that we need to learn from the example of Jesus about worship. Um, our lives are His totally.
0: And I, I, love, I love the Lord's Prayer that if we pray that daily or use it as a model for prayer, contained in the Lord's Prayer is, uh, you know, Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we mm. can personalize that and say, Lord, today in my life, in my family, in my ministry, in what you have called me to do lord not my will but yours be done it's a it's a great just a great reminder for us that worship is surrendering to the will of god
1: you know another thing i think that jesus example shows us about the true nature of worship and i don't have a great way of saying this but like it is as john piper says you know heart and head you know john 4 spirit and truth i kind of interpret that as like praise and pleasure you know saying and savoring this idea where it is truth and it is enjoying and savoring that truth in in spirit when we see this that jesus talks about this kind of value in john 4 where he meets the samaritan woman and they get into this like big theological discussion about worship and they're at this well and so they start talking about thirst and we know from the story that the woman is deeply thirsty um but not for water she you know she thinks he's talking about water but she she, jesus knows that she's chasing after men she's chasing after the affection that she's getting and so she's a thirsty person and and jesus says to her essentially if you knew who i was you wouldn't thirst anymore you know in in verses 10 to 13 14 he says i would give you i will give you water that springs up within you but she doesn't see the connection. And she thinks he's just talking about water. And so Jesus kind of exposes, oh, go get your husband and exposes what she's she's chasing after. And he knows about the men, he knows her heart. And then he says to her, essentially like, your problem is you don't know who you worship. And And because this woman didn't know God, because she didn't worship God, she exchanged that for the worship of other people. Instead of being deeply satisfied in knowing God, which is worship, her satisfaction came, you know, from chasing after all these other relationships. And what she needed was truth. She had wrong doctrine. And so Jesus provides her truth, but not just truth. He shows how the truth deals with her thirst, how it deals with her desire. It was delighting in the truth that the Messiah had come and that one and that one day people aren't going to worship at one mountain or another mountain. They're going to worship Anywhere in spirit and truth. And so Jesus kind of shows us in that chapter that the truth about God, the truth about who he is, the gospel, the kingdom, and the purpose and the plan of God is really the deepest, most satisfying and life-giving thing to a Christian. And so, you know, we have people who come to our gatherings and who need that, they are like this woman, they are thirsty, they are hungry, they're chasing after the wrong things. And what Jesus says is true satisfaction, true delight is found in me, is found in worshiping me, knowing me, delighting in me, following me. And, and, and that is the solution to our fears and anxieties. And, and so our joy is really to help people see the truth of who Jesus is and to delight in that. And I love how Jonathan Edwards says it. He says, God is glorified not only by his glories being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. His glory is then received by the whole soul, both by the understanding and the heart. And so one of the key things Jesus shows us about worship is it's not just theology, it's not just rote theology it's not just dead doctrine it is heart and head it's
0: affections mm. and and passion with truth as you're talking about that i was thinking it could be easy to slip into a life of worship as a robotic thing it's it's a series of things i do and it's it's right behaviors because i'm commanded to do that but it's it's not just right behaviors it's right behaviors because of the quest for not just the quest for a relationship, but a quest for a deeper relationship based upon mm. the relationship that God has already established with us through Christ. And then mm-hmm. in that relationship, we do these things in delight because we are pursuing yeah. not something, but someone. And, um, you know, I, I think I just reflect on my own life that that the joy factor of the whole savoring and enjoying the presence mm-hmm. of God and the person of Christ and delighting in his... Infinite excellencies, sometimes is, escapes me, and uh, I think we need just to be reminded that I do, as the Father and the Son delighted in each other, and as yeah you know as the the Holy Spirit delights in the perfections of Christ, we delight in the glories of God, and have joy in our worship. Yeah, well, I think just reading again through John and just seeing. How much Jesus
1: delighted in his relationship with God and how much joy he took in knowing his Father and doing his Father's will. He talks about it, it's his bread to do the Father's will, you know. That kind of delight and joy, Jesus enjoyed that, I think, needs to stand in contrast with sometimes what we can present as a God that just demands truth and doctrine and legalism. You know, we would never say that, but sometimes our worship kind of presents God that way. And so I think that just looking at the example of Jesus, he loved the Father, he enjoyed his relationship with the Father. And man, I wanna see our worship gatherings reflect that more and more. Jody, you got the final word on the last kind of lesson that we'll dive into today. Mm -hmm.
0: So uh, So much we could say and so many things from the life of Jesus. You and I talked about a couple that we're not going to talk about, but maybe for me, the final one is that um, uh, life of worship is a life of loving God and loving others. Hmm. You know, it's the mic drop moment, greatest commandment. What is it? And Jesus taught so many things, but his final word, I think, Matthew 22 you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and hmm. with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And so this is um, telling me that a life of worship um, is loving God with all that we are. In awe mm. of God, we respond with all of our affection, all of our minds, attention, all, all of the, our will, our actions. Uh, I think it was Matt Redmond that said "Loving or worship is loving God in the details of life. And hmm. it's, it's taking the stuff of life and figuring out how that with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we love God. We call that a lifestyle of worship. Mm. And we all need to remember that, you know, life, um, worship is not just compartmentalized to 90 minutes or 120 minutes a week right. on Sundays, but it's, it's everything we do all the time and everywhere we go. And I think the apostle Paul, he said, uh, first Corinthians 10 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it, everything for the glory of God, this, mm. this sense of pouring out, uh, and just loving, um. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And here he says, walk in love. That's that's mm. a great way of saying what Jesus already said. He says, walk in love. Yeah. And what's the comparison? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And that's exactly what we've been talking about. Just this idea that a, a life that's pleasing and fragrant is a life of love to him. and. And as obviously the second commandment is, as we love others, we are loving God. And these things, these sacrifices are pleasing to Him. And so there's a battle. Uh, There's a battle to not um, prioritize other passions or pursuits and let them Mm -hmm. be our first love. There's a battle against half-heartedness that we just say, yeah, I do my Sunday thing, but um, God should be good with that. And then we go on to live the rest of the week a different way. There's um, a battle that, we think God exists to make us happy, where we put ourselves in the center in the battle. It says other people exist to serve me. Jesus' command says that no, I I exist to bring glory glory to God, and I exist to to love and bless others. And boy, that's a that's a tough statement. Both those yeah. things to love God with all we are and to love people who can sometimes be unlovable, but then. I think uh, Romans chapter 5, 5 says, God's love, how do we do this? God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit Hmm. who has been given to us. And if we're to remotely be able to love God with all that we are, we need the Holy Spirit. We need his power. We need the love of God that he has poured in, that he does pour in so that we can love God and we can love brothers and sisters and just as we love our own family and that we love God with brothers and sisters corporately as we gather on Sundays, and that we live our worship by loving the people that are around us, the lost, praying for our neighbors, uh, witnessing to people that don't know Jesus that they might come to know him and his great love. So uh, I would summarize this by saying a life of worship is a life of loving God and loving others with the the love the Holy Spirit has placed in us.
1: Yeah, you know, Ephesians 1 says that in love, he predestined us for adoption, right? When you consider that, wow, like God has poured out his love in us by adopting us. It's like, how can we not respond with love towards him? How can our worship, our lives of worship, not be lives of love towards him? And so, yeah, these are kind of the four, these establish kind of the foundation of everything we do which compromises a life of worship, which, you know, is not just Sunday morning, but it's lived out in our day-to-day lives and and in our corporate worship. And so we just pray that these, these little kind of observations about Jesus' life would have been beneficial for you. And uh, we just encourage you to meditate on those and then seek to... Um, Yeah. Model your worship after how Jesus lived and taught us to. And so thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We pray it's been a blessing and we'll see you on the next episode of Worship God. Bye for now.
0: Worship God is a production of the Gospel Coalition Canada. For more Christ exalting resources, go to ca.thegospelcoalition.org.